0: Hey everybody, it's Lon Sybin, and it's time for a weekly wrap-up. These are usually on Monday night, but it is the uh, New Year's holiday today and I had a little bit of time, so I figured I would put a wrap-up together uh, given that we won't have one next week due to CES. So we're going to be uh, talking about that in this week's lineup here along with five 2019 predictions that I have. Uh, we're also going to look at how Mickey Mouse keeps mucking up U.S. copyright law. There's a great story about that that we'll talk about. I will also pontificate as to whether or not smartphones have plateaued, why gameplay is not fair use, and why it's okay to be a commodity as a content creator. Lots to talk about, so let's get to it. And I want to begin this week by thanking our newest supporters here on the channel, including Anuj Zaveri, who we gave a gold-level contribution. And then on Patreon, we had Andrew B. and Roop Sakar. And then through my donor box page, we had Jack Carr and Hubert Banis. I want to thank everyone who contributed this week, along with everyone who contributes on an ongoing basis and everyone who watches on an ongoing basis too, because all of those things equal channel growth. And this week's wrap up is sponsored by Plex, my favorite media serving application. And you might want to consider getting a Plex pass if you want to get more out of Plex. You can do a lot with the free version of it. Uh, But if you want to do things like the DVR or syncing up your mobile devices for offline viewing or getting uh, all of your Plex apps available to you for free, uh, those are some of the things you can get from a Plex Pass subscription. Uh, You can also get access to parental restrictions and subtitle searches. And then whenever there are new features, you will get those before uh, people on the free tier do. And there's always something to talk about with Plex Pass. And you can find it at the link you see there on screen. And then maybe you forgot to get a gift for somebody in your life. Well, you can go to the gift link here and give them a gift of a Plex Pass as well. So let's take a look at the weekend review. And because I was on vacation last week, I didn't do anything on the Extras channel, but we will have some stuff coming up a little later this week there. And then on the main channel, we had a couple of retro items. I did a couple of videos before I took my little vacation. So the first one was unboxing a Mac Plus And as usual with my retro reviews here, something that I thought would be a very quick video to do right before I leave turned into a project that uh, required me to stay up late and have to rejigger things because the Mac stopped working in the middle of the video. So the entire uh, direction of that video changed from doing more with the actual physical hardware to showing you how to emulate the hardware that we took out of the box It's likely very fixable. It's just a loose connection somewhere with the display, uh, and I hope to get that going uh, in the near future. You'll recall about a year or two ago, we did a retro review of the Apple IIgs that's back there, and its power supply blew out a capacitor right in the middle of that thing, and we had to do a similar uh, switch to some other topic on that particular video. But nonetheless, a lot of you enjoyed that, so I was very happy to see that you did. And I also had a fun video with some Sega Genesis hardware I bought off of eBay recently. Uh, The reason why I bought this stuff is that in a few months, the new analog Mega SG console is coming out. This is an FPGA-based Sega Genesis clone console, very similar to what they've done now with the Super Nintendo and the original NES. And the new console they're making is going to work with the Sega CD, but I didn't own a Sega CD in standalone form, so I had to go out and get one. And as it turns out, the uh, console that I got ended up having a Sega Genesis Model 2 and a 32X included in the batch. And the 32X was better than the one I had. It had a much cleaner image. Uh, so that led me down a rabbit hole. Uh, and I went out and bought some of these RetroVision component cables that cost about 70 bucks. And then I spent another 100 bucks on this little device called the Retro Tank that I detailed in the video. And I plugged all this stuff into my 4K television upstairs, my OLED set, I'll tell you what, it looked great and there was very minimal uh, input latency as a result as well. So if you've been waiting for that analog SG console to come out and just can't wait anymore, uh, you can actually take out the original hardware and get a very good image on your television. It will vary based on how well your TV can upscale from 480p, but I was really pleased with how it looked on my television. And you can see more about this project in the video playlist that I have down in the description. And now it's time for a couple of things that are on my mind. And this is week 97 of me doing this as a full-time occupation. And it's also a brand new year too, which is very exciting. And of course, CES is upon us as it always is in January. You get a little holiday break and then it's just off to the races to uh, get the new year going in Las Vegas. So I'll be heading out there uh, this week. Look for some content probably on Tuesday or Wednesday Uh, And then I'll have at least three different dispatch videos. We're going to have one from Pepcom, uh, which is a great event where they take a whole bunch of different companies and put them in a room. uh, And we can run from table to table and see a whole bunch of them. Uh, So we're going to have some help from Elias Saba from AFTV News. He's going to be helping me out with the coverage from Pepcom. And then we're going to go to Showstoppers, which is a very similar event the following evening. So we'll have another dispatch from there. And then we're going to spend a day walking around uh, something called Eureka Park, which I mentioned last week. This is where all the scrappy startups are. So we'll take a look at some of the uh, lesser known companies that don't have all the PR and advertising budgets to attract the media. We're going to go out and find them and see what we can get there. We've always had good luck at uh, Eureka Park. And hopefully that good luck will continue. And then we'll have our annual interview with Silicon Dust, the makers of the HD Home Run. So I know a lot of you have some questions for them. So leave me uh, those questions down in the comments and we'll be sure to ask them uh, at the interview happening next week. So let's move on now to my 2019 predictions. And we'll come back to this topic in a year and see if I was correct or not. I want to begin with gaming PCs. I do think this will be the year we'll get uh, gaming PCs that perform better than most consoles that should cost around $500 or so. I believe it'll probably be powered by AMD processors, and we're going to start seeing these things coming down in price to a point where you'll have a real decision to make between maybe getting that 4K game console or... Getting a gaming PC that might give you a little bit more freedom and flexibility. I think we're at that point. We've been getting very, very close. Of course, you can piece things together with um, some used hardware now to hit that price point. But I think for new stuff, out of the box kind of solutions, I think we're going to see that this year. And I think related to that, we're going to see a merger of some kind between the Xbox world and the Windows 10 world. Uh, Microsoft has been hinting at this through some of their game releases, and we've been seeing that uh, through some of their E3 videos where games are released on Windows 10 and Xbox simultaneously. I think that's going to continue. I think they will likely offer this as an incentive to get people to start buying their games through the Windows Store so that they can start playing on their PC and then go to their Xbox when they get home. I see this really happening uh, with more developers at some point just because the gaming PC market is a real growth area, uh, not only for Microsoft, but for the companies that make gaming PCs and the hardware that those of us who build PCs use to make our own computers. And this is too lucrative of a market for Microsoft to not give it a lot of attention. And now that we're seeing some competition between Epic and Valve for game distribution, there's no reason to think Microsoft won't want to get into this as well, because this is a multi-billion dollar industry that Microsoft can earn additional revenue for just by sending bits down the wire, and they'd be crazy not to take advantage of it. So let's look for that grand merger uh, happening at some point in the next year. Uh, VR is something that I think is going to continue its consumer market decline but I do see growth in commercial applications. We're seeing that with HTC's products. They're really focusing more on uh, commercial uses of their VR technology. Uh, Oculus is still trying to focus on consumers. They've got a new higher powered standalone device that might move the needle a little bit, but I still don't think we're quite there yet on the consumer side. And it's really disappointing too, because VR is just so good. And it's unfortunate that They haven't yet cracked the code of what consumers are looking for, and it's likely they never will get there, but there is a lot more money to be made, again, on the commercial side of things, and I think that's where we're going to see VR really develop over the next two or three years. Maybe at some point we'll see more consumer adoption of this, but even the PlayStation VR, which is the market leader, doesn't have a lot of installed units as compared to all of the PlayStation consoles that are out there. Uh, So unfortunately, I don't think 2019 is going to be the year of VR. We'll have to wait a few more years to finally get the holodeck, I guess. Uh, Another thing that I think is going to happen is that Apple will likely release a 12-inch ARM-powered MacBook that will run Mac OS. It'll be running with an iPad processor, essentially, but you'll be able to run your Mac applications on it. Apple has been very clear that their MacBooks are computers, their iPads are tablets. This won't be some kind of two-in-one device. I think it'll just be the MacBook we all know powered by an ARM processor that will likely perform better than the Intel version at specific tasks like photo and video editing, and will likely get a lot more battery life as well. Apple's been very good at switching their uh, systems from one processor to another. They've done it now, I think, at least three times in the history of the company. They went from Motorola 68000 processors to PowerPC Then they went from PowerPC to Intel. It's definitely not out of the realm of possibility that they will do the same here on ARM, especially given they are making their own chips now and they have a lot of experience with these ARM processors on the iOS side. And speaking of new chips, I also predict that we might see something new from Nvidia that might also give us something new from Nintendo. Uh, The Nintendo Switch, of course, has been a crazy success for both companies. Uh, For NVIDIA especially, because they have not been providing GPUs to the other console makers, Uh, both Microsoft and Sony use AMD processors on their game consoles, and the Switch, of course, uses the same chip that is in the NVIDIA Shield TV. And don't forget, the Shield TV has been around for almost four years now, so that chipset is getting a bit long in the tooth There's no doubt in my mind that they've been working on something new in their labs to uh, better what they've been able to get out of that essentially mobile processor. And I think this will probably be the year we'll see something. Maybe we'll see a new shield at CES. I hope we do, because I haven't seen much from them uh, hardware-wise over the last year or so. And if we do see that, there's no doubt we'll probably see an upgraded Switch sometime uh, thereafter. And I'm sure that they've learned a lot from this partnership about what game developers are looking for And it's clear that uh, Nintendo won't have this be the sole hardware moving forward. And I think what they'll do is likely adopt the same strategy that Microsoft and uh, Sony have done, which is uh, have the same software platform but provide an upgraded experience for people that have the faster hardware Now, Nintendo denies that there's a new console in the works, but they made that denial in the middle of the holiday shopping season, and I don't think they wanted to cannibalize their sales by announcing a new console that might be out sometime in the coming year. So I do think it'll happen, uh, especially if that chip is announced, and we'll see if my uh, predictions here hold up when we revisit this topic in a year. I put something into my task manager so that uh, when we get to December of 2019, we'll take a look back and see how many of these things I got right. I got a good feeling about this set of five, but who knows? Let me know what you thought down in the comments below. And now it's time for some things in the news that caught my eye. And this story in the Smithsonian was fascinating about US copyright law. So for the first time in 20 years, Uh, We're going to see some copyrighted works enter the public domain. Basically, any works that were produced in 1923 are in the public domain as of today. So you can go download some album that was made in 1923 and put it on your YouTube channel or republish it, whatever you want to do. That stuff now belongs to everyone, uh, not just the original creators of that work. It's based on how copyright law existed at the time that those works were created, uh, and that stuff is now out there. But the last time things got released to the public domain was actually 20 years ago. So in, in 1998, works from 1922 entered the public domain, uh, and you would think that every year after that we should see things happen, and that was how it was supposed to work. But of course, the mouse got involved, Mickey Mouse, uh, because Disney, a very large entertainment corporation that's even larger today than it was 20 years ago, is very concerned that Mickey Mouse is nearing that point in which uh, he may become part of the public domain and no longer exclusively under Disney's control. And what happened was is they uh, got behind the Sonny Bono Copyright Term Extension Act again in 1998 that made some changes to copyright law. Uh, The first thing is that it adjusted a 1976 copyright law Uh, to extend how long a work is copyrighted for. Now, initially, there was just a uh, time stamp on the life of the author plus a certain number of years. They extended that number of year extension from 50 years to 75 years in that uh, extension act. They also said that works of corporate authorship will enjoy a 120-year copyright. So if, for example, Disney makes some new intellectual property uh, as of 1998 moving forward, uh, that will have a 120-year copyright before it enters public domain. So if you are a corporation, you get a longer length of copyright perhaps than you would uh, based on the lifespan of the author. And the Sonny Bono Act also changed how older content would be released to the public domain. So for things made before 1978, it used to be that you had 75 years from the time the item was first published. Uh, they moved that from 75 to 95 years. That essentially put the pause button on everything, including the release of Mickey Mouse into the public domain. But now we're getting to the point where this extension has extended... And now we've got Mickey Mouse once again on the copyright shopping block. Steamboat Willie could be public domain in 2023 if Disney doesn't take action. And no doubt they will take action at some point in the near future. So I think you can expect more of this copyright adjustment Uh, As we get closer to that year, Disney certainly is a much larger company now. They've got a lot of influence in Congress here in the United States, and I'm sure they will be uh, doing something to preserve their mark. And it also speaks to uh, how popular culture is changing as well. I think back to the fact that they're still making Star Wars movies almost 40 years later. Uh, When I was a kid, there wasn't much that I watched that my parents were into, maybe Superman and a few uh, comic books and whatnot. But generally, you know, things were new to us in the 70s and 80s, I think, more so than we're seeing today, which is mostly rehashing old IP. And I think this is clearly something that Disney is going to be concerned about. And I would expect the mouse to be making sure he doesn't get Uh, released to the public anytime soon, so be sure to not post Steamboat Willie uh, on your YouTube channel until at least 2023, but I predict we'll have another extension of the copyright law to prevent that from happening. And if you want to see just how much influence Mickey Mouse has had in U.S. copyright law, check out this neat article at the Art Law Journal that gives a really cool timeline of everything that has transpired with the mouse over the years. And now it's time for a Q&A from you, the viewers, and we'll take a copyright question here for the first one as we're uh, on that topic already. Mr. Nobody wants to know why gameplay is just not a fair use. When we buy a game and play it in front of an audience, isn't that well within our rights as a consumer? And the answer is maybe, and it really is up to the copyright holder to determine whether or not you can do that. They own the IP to that game, and they can decide not to let you do that. Uh, Nintendo, of course, is famous for not letting people do that up until very recently. They were copyright claiming and taking revenue and doing all the things that a rights holder does. And if you think about it, uh, if you were to go out and buy a movie and stream it on YouTube, that would not be something you could probably get away with. You will certainly get a copyright strike uh, in the course of doing that. And game makers say, some do, uh, that streaming a game is the equivalent of that. And if I think if you look at some games that have a lot of story and have a lot of music and other uh, elements to them that might resemble that of a motion picture, uh, you could see where they might have a point there. The problem is with these fair use cases is that fair use is not something that you can point to and say, I am protected because it really is up to the court to decide whether or not that is a particular fair use case. Every single case is its own thing uh, versus copyright, which is more absolute. I can very easily go to you and say, you're using my copyrighted works here. uh, And then it's up to you to prove that it's a fair use of my content. And if you don't have the legal means to defend yourself, most of the time you just let them take it and you walk away because you just can't afford to defend that kind of case in court. And the penalties, as we've talked about in prior wrap-ups, are so significant that uh, you're likely not going to pursue a court case if there's any risk of being held responsible. Even a small uh, violation could end up with a couple hundred thousand dollars in fines that Uh, get paid to the rights holders. So really the odds are stacked against those of us who are making content, especially when we're bringing in footage from uh, people who own the rights to that. So my best advice is uh, go out and ask the company first before you start streaming their game. Some might be okay with it, some may not be, and the same holds true with other media rights holders as well. Uh, Leonard French, who uh, has a great YouTube channel, it's called The Lawful Masses Uh, He had a very good point, though. He said that in playing the game, you're actually changing the nature of the work and it's your own change that is basically influencing how that game is played out. Uh, But again, I don't think there has been a lot of case law to make that argument to the point where you'd have some precedent uh, to be able to defend yourself. So I think we'd have to wait for some really big lawsuit to go perhaps as far as the Supreme Court to make some determination as to how fair use works now Uh, in this modern media era, with modern media like an interactive game. And this next question came in from my friend Matt Zagaya, who helped me cover CES back in 2015. He's been noticing something I've been noticing, which is that smartphone development, especially at the flagship level, has plateaued. We're not getting to this huge upgrade every year like we were seeing in uh, the past decade. I've upgraded my iPhone every year since 2007, except this year. I did not go from my iPhone 10 to the 10s, uh, just because I didn't see any compelling reason to do so. It has a marginally better camera. Yes, the processor is faster in the 10s, but really, no one's taken advantage of the 10 processor yet, so there hasn't been much of a real reason to upgrade. Now, my wife had an iPhone 7 Plus, and she was talking about how the phone was just too big in her hand and she wanted something smaller. Uh, The way phones work in my house is that my wife would usually get my prior year phone and her mother would get the one that she had, kind of work its way down the ladder there. And of course, this year, I threw a wrench in that by not upgrading. So what I did is traded in her iPhone 7, uh, got her the XS, and she likes it because it's smaller, but she hasn't really remarked about the performance. In fact, she had it for a couple of days, and I finally asked her, I said, hey, what do you think of the phone? Oh, I love it, it's so much smaller than my old one. I said, what about the performance? Does it feel faster? Does it feel better in any way? Eh, feels about the same to me. And I think that's really where we're at now. There was always a very big difference between the old phone and the new one, Now it's just kind of flat. I do think what's going to happen though is we're going to see the cheaper phones get better and better. And that I think is going to probably be the story in the smartphone world uh, for the next four or five years. And as that happens, as these uh, less expensive phones get more powerful, we may see developers really start pushing the hardware finally, because I think we haven't really been pushing hardware to its fullest, primarily because most people still had a low to mid-range phone. And now that these processors are getting faster and cheaper, I think we'll finally start seeing applications develop that might actually make use of these very powerful processors that have been very underutilized. And it's not just the iPhone, it's on the Android side as well. So let's see what happens in the next two or three years. But I think if you buy a flagship phone uh, now, you may not need to upgrade it for two or three years, at least, uh, just because I think we have hit that plateau. And this last question comes in from Beam Jim about my low view count versus my high subscriber number. And I wanted to talk a little bit about this. We've covered this in the past, but I have a very recent example of exactly what makes this channel sustainable in the long run, because about 20% or less of my traffic day-to-day comes from subscribers. Most of it comes from people that stumble across my videos either through a search or through one of YouTube's recommendations. And that is why, I always make my videos very product specific uh, because that has been really what has led to channel growth over the years. It's been a lot of trial and error to kind of figure things out. And I've got a good sense now as to what the subscribers will be interested in and also what a subset of subscribers might be interested in. So when somebody subscribes to the channel, chances are they came on a TV box review or maybe something related to Plex or the HD Home Run And if I'm reviewing a PC or some other product like a dashboard camera like we did the other day, that may not appeal to that subscriber and they probably won't watch the video. And as a result, I have a very fragmented subscription base where I think if you were to look at all the different topics of videos that I upload, I think I probably get around the same amount of traffic that a single topic channel uh, would get with this number of subscribers. I just have too many different things that I cover that I can't really appeal to every subscriber with each upload. And then the weekly wrap-up video is watched by the small number of subscribers that are interested in everything that I do, and I have a lot of interests, so uh, it's really great to have the ability to share those interests with people that have as much of a diverse interest level as I do. So here's a recent example of how this channel works and why it is successful even though our initial viewership numbers are low. This is the review that I did for the HP Sprocket second edition back in October of Uh, 2018, October 17th. Uh, This video I knew would be a flop with the subscribers, and I was proven correct because look at this. We only got about 2,500 views on the first day. Uh, By the second day, we barely got above 3,000 views overall if we were to do the aggregate of the chart here. And that uh, by all accounts, is a flop here on the channel. But I know how things work, and I knew that this video over time would do much better. So what's happened, as you can see here, is that chart keeps climbing up uh, week to week. And we're at a point now where at the end of December, uh, this video got close to 10,000 views in a week uh, when it only did about 2,500 or so in its first week of existence. And if we look at where that traffic came from, uh, 2,795 views uh, throughout the entire lifespan of this video came from subscribers. 46,000, almost 47,000 views came from non-subscribers. And check out the gender differentiator here. Among subscribers, 100% of the subscribers who watched this video were males. Uh, but the non-subscribers, majority of the audience is female, and that's because this is a product that appeals mostly to women, and that certainly played out in the viewership. They were interested in uh, perhaps purchasing this product or buying it for a gift. Uh, many bought it, and then after Christmas were coming into the channel to see what they could do with it, so the review had kind of a dual purpose here of not only being a review, but also a mini-tutorial. And this is the kind of thing that uh, happens here on the channel is that you'll see these videos do really poorly initially, but then over time they do really well to the point where I get a million and a half views a month usually uh, just from all of this traffic sitting out there in the search world here. And that's because I'm a commodity. I make uh, content that appeals to people who are looking for information at a specific time Uh, They are probably not into this stuff initially or at all. Maybe they just want to get their printer working or maybe they just want to figure out if this laptop they're looking at is good. And after that, they don't need me again. So they don't subscribe and they disappear and that's okay. And I think that's one of the things that you should be thinking about as a content creator, which is you don't have to become a star to be successful. You can live in this commoditized world where you're providing information to people when they're looking for it, produce a quality product, and if you serve that individual's need, uh, the algorithm, the master computer that controls my fate, uh, will reward you with putting you in front of more people who are looking for similar things in the future, and that is exactly what's happening here. Now, what's been fun doing this for the last six years or so is that I've developed a real good feel for what will work in uh, different scenarios, so I know what's going to work for subscribers for the most part I know what's going to work well long-term on the commodities market, essentially, and I also know what platforms might be better for certain things. I've been posting up on Amazon's video shorts, and a lot of the things that don't always do well on my YouTube channel do very well there because they have a lot of traffic coming into those product pages, and I'm sitting right there above the review area. So I've been really, again, experimenting and trying different things and looking at the data to determine exactly what I am as a channel uh, and what will succeed as a video. And that's been a lot of the fun uh, in doing this job is that you have so much feedback to really make good decisions once you get a good gut feel as to uh, what content works and where. Uh, So don't worry, nothing's changing this year. I'm going to be doing more of the same Uh, Hopefully you enjoy what I'm doing, and I really appreciate everyone who tunes in, especially those of you who subscribe and watch this video in particular, because believe it or not, I probably spend more time on the wrap-up each week than I do on some of my review videos, just because I like to provide enough for those of you who really do watch things that I do that you may not be interested in, and for that, I thank you very much. And now it's time for my pick of the week this week, and I've been having a lot of fun playing Mega Man 11 on my Nintendo Switch, I bought the uh, physical copy during the Black Friday sales that were going on with Amazon, and I finally got some time to play it uh, while I was relaxing. And this was a really challenging game. In fact, I still haven't gotten by the first level, uh, but I've been really enjoying the experience. It's a great uh, update on the Mega Man model. It's made by Capcom, of course, so it's got that level of quality to it. And this was just an awesome sequel that... Uh, Reminds me a lot of the original Mega Man games I played, geez, almost 30 years ago, uh, with a modern uh, look and feel to it. And if you haven't played this game, definitely give it a shot, especially if you like the original Mega Man. It is difficult, but there are some things that make it a little less so. You can, you know, buy yourself more. Uh, one-ups essentially more lives not through in-app purchases but through their little uh, currency within the game that you can pick up as you're running around and uh, lots of neat little upgrades to the Mega Man model here that work really well and I've been just having a blast with it so check out Mega Man 11 I think it's like 25 bucks on Amazon right now This week on the channel, we, of course, are traveling to CES, but I do have a couple things ready to go. We're going to get a review up of the Y7000P laptop that I've been teasing about. I wanted to hold this one till this week, just in case I got caught behind on production. I'm also going to do something on these UFS2 SD cards. I got in this card to review through the Amazon Vine program the other day. It's a ruggedized Sony card, and it supports the UFS2 standard, so it's a little faster than other SD cards might be. So we'll kind of do an update to my SD card video I did a few years ago uh, with this new technology. It looks a little different, but it still works the same, but it is faster. So we'll talk about that. I'm also hopefully going to get to my single drive Synology review this week as well. Uh, That is on the docket. And if I can get these two things shot here, I will be very happy flying off to Vegas. So I'll have enough to uh, keep you all interested until those dispatches show up. So stay tuned. Uh, lots of stuff to come up in the week ahead here. Now, if you want to support the channel, you can. You can go to lon.tv slash support and make a one-time or monthly contribution to the channel. We also have our ongoing relationship with Plex where if you sign up for a free Plex account, no credit card required. We get a small commission for that. You can get a slightly larger commission delivered to the channel if you do that Plex pass or the Plex gift that we mentioned at the outset. We also have other channels that I appear on, including my Extras channel for unboxings and supplementary content. We also have my podcast feed, which is an audio version of this show and the interviews that I do from time to time. We then have my Snippets channel, which is a a stripped-down version of the weekly wrap-up show. We take each topic and upload them separately every week, and that's an easy way to uh, share some of the things you might have learned from this show with your friends. And you can also look at my live stream archive at lawn.tv slash live streams, which I hope to do more of after I get back from CES. If you want to be notified every time I do something, you can click the bell and that will let you know when I've got something going on here on the channel. We also have ways to engage with the channel through my email list at lon.tv slash email. My Facebook page is at lon.tv slash Facebook my Facebook group, which is now uh, over 500 members now, I think, is at lon.tv slash Facebook group, a great way to interact with me and other fans of the show. And then we have my store at lon.tv slash store, where we sell things that I've previously reviewed here on the channel, things that I've purchased, and you can get an alert every time I've got something going on in that store at lon.tv slash alert. I likely won't have anything up there until CES is over with. But if I do find time, you might see a few things pop up. And again, I send out an email every time I update the inventory on the store. So definitely don't miss out on that. And that is going to do it for this week's weekly wrap-up. Again, there will not be a wrap-up at its usual time next week. So Monday, there will be no wrap-up, but we'll have, of course, the dispatches appearing throughout the week. And then when I get back, the following Monday, we'll be back on our usual schedule, uh, which is a great thing because the holidays certainly are a disruption. And then, of course, CES disrupts things. So I'm looking forward to getting back into my routine uh, when I get back from that trip. Until next time, this is Lon Cybin. Thanks for watching. This channel is brought to you by... the. TV supporters, including Gold Level Supporters, Chris Allegretta, the Four Guys with Quarters podcast, Tom Albrecht, and Kalyan Kumar. If you want to help the channel, you can by contributing as little as a dollar a month.